Hi everyone, today I'm very excited to interview one of my heroes. I have been a fan of his work on the future self. In fact, I even did a version, a Philippine version of one of his experiments. And I was so thrilled when I received an email from him when he read the article I wrote about the dangers of super filtering yourself. His research, which sits at the intersection of psychology and economics, examines the ways we can improve our long-term decisions. He has earned his PhD in psychology from Stanford University. Prior to that, he graduated as magna cum laude at Fox University with a BA in psychology and English. He is now a professor of marketing, behavioral decision-making, and psychology at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. He is so committed to the work of helping us make better long-term decisions. And you should all get a copy of his freshly published book entitled, Your Future Self, How to Make Tomorrow Better Today. Ladies and gentlemen, let us all welcome Hal Hirschfeld. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Rose. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so um, you are now being watched by our viewers here in the Philippines. I wonder if you have any awareness of where the Philippines is. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, you do. And and in your book, very there was far a, away. Yeah, very far away. You are very far away. It's all a matter of perspective, right? Exactly. I was going to say it depends on where you sit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just, um, I was just saying that there is a mention in your book of the Manila envelope. So <laughs> at least I think that you have that a little bit of an awareness. Anyway. So how? Congratulations on your new book. But Thank before, you. yeah, but before we dive into that, would you like to tell us how you got into the field of behavioral science, behavioral economics, and uh, what made you start it? What what fascinated you with the future self? Please give us yeah, a sure. glimpse. Yeah, give us a glimpse sure. of how you are as a young boy. <laughs> as a young boy, well. Um, you know, I mean, to some extent, uh, it comes back to, you know, growing up, I, my parents are both psychologists. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and the funny thing about that is that, you know, when people ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I would say like, well, all I know is that I don't want to be a psychologist because, you know, I don't want to be exactly like them. I want to do my own thing. Um, of course, you know, here I am a psychologist, um, but I do, you know, academic research. Now, along the way, when I was in graduate school, um, I was having a conversation with my academic advisor and we were trying to figure out, you know, what sort of pressing social issues are worth studying. Mm-hmm. Um, and Laura Carstensen, that's her name. She She's really an expert in policy decisions and aging and decision making. And she said, you know, there's not enough attention being paid to retirement issues. And I said, what? Retirement? I was like in my mid 20s. And I was like, that sounds really kind of boring. Um, and she was like, that's the problem. You know, somebody who's your age thinks it doesn't sound that exciting. And that conversation really got me to think about well, why don't we think about the very long term when we're younger and 
what's the sort of stumbling blocks there? And so a lot of it boils down to these, you know, thoughts of our own selves over time, our future selves. And that that really got me started down this this path. So you really open up the can of worms there with all those questions, with that question. <laughs> Thanks to that conversation. So so since you already delved on what you were thinking of uh, in your 20s, can we backtrack a little bit even further? Uh, could you share with us a childhood money memory? So, you know, it's funny because when I was a kid, I was, oh gosh, I think I'm going to date myself here, but you know, we had the... Don't worry, I'm older than you. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Fine. Well, then, perfect. We had the actual encyclopedia in our house. You know, not not the, not Wikip. Okay, you get. And when I was a kid, for whatever reason, I just loved the M book, looking at the money, my, the article on money, and I would. I thought it was the coolest thing that there was different denominations of bills and which bills were in circulation and which weren't. And I collected coins. I'm God. I'm not really painting like. I picture myself as like that cool of a kid. But anyway, that, you know, it, that's a little different from a money memory per se, you know, and thinking about like spending it or saving it or whatnot. But I was fascinated by the fascinated. like currency and the what it meant. And like, you know, at some point later in my life, I realized like, oh, it's so interesting to think about, you know, these are just symbols, money, like what it actually stands for and so on and so on. That's a whole other conversation. But that's kind of one of my first memories of money itself and maybe that's different from what you're thinking about but that's that's my that's like when I that's what I go to when I think of like money as a kid <laughs> so it, it's a fascinating thing that that's what as far as uh, your childhood money memory is concerned that is <laughs> yeah. all right yeah. so, so can we now dive into your book and um, tell us about the MRI findings that shows how we look at our future selves yeah, you know, one of my early studies was was concerned with trying to figure out well, how do we even think of our future selves. One of the studies that I conducted, it jumped off of the observation that our brain can tell what's me and what's not me. And I sort of had this thought of like, well, you know, if our future self is connected to us or not connected to us, what would happen when we think of our future self in the brain? And it, as it turns out, and I'm I'm making this kind of sort of high level, but as it turns out, the brain activity that comes about when we think of our future selves looks more like the brain activity that comes about when we think of another person, which is really kind of a deep insight to say that on some level, our future selves seem like other people. It's it's a kind of an analogy, if you will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so what you're saying is that you really had subjects and um, you were testing them, think about yourself and then think yes. about future self. And then you were able to see the pattern and the pattern was similar to those of uh, the, the waves, so to speak, when they are thinking of strangers. Is that Yeah, correct? well, that's right. So just to make it more specific, we had people come into the scanner, they would lay down, they see a screen above them and on the screen, it'll say a target person. So, you know, your current self, your future self, another person or another person yeah. in the future. And then there would be words there, trait words, things like, you know, energetic, friendly, shy, reticent, um, you know, outgoing, these sorts of things. And you would click a button if it was yes and click a button if it was no. But in clicking those buttons, what you're really doing is thinking about, I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about another person. I'm thinking about my future self and so on. And what we can do is watch after the fact, we can see where was the sort of brain activity? Where did we see sort of, you know, heightened activity in the brain when we're thinking about say ourselves now and there's a part of the brain there's they're called we call it you know cortical midline structures the medial prefrontal cortex being one of them 
um, the rostral anterior cingulate. These are all like parts of the brain that essentially have been implicated in coding thoughts about the self versus thoughts about another person. There's more activity when I think about myself in this part of the brain compared to when I think about, say, you or somebody else that I don't know. And a similar thing happens when I think of my future self. There's more activity when I think of myself right now yeah, and not as much when I think of my future self. And in fact, that activity from the future self looks more like the activity that comes about when I think of another person, someone I don't really know. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell us about that Jerry Seinfeld joke that you mentioned in your book? <laughs> yeah, sure. So in the book, part of what I talk about is how we do think of our future self as if there are other people. Jerry Seinfeld has this great bit where he says, you know, I never get enough sleep at night because I stay up late at night. You know, well, I, at that point, I'm night guy. You know, this is like, what for me, it's like watching one more episode of, you know, something on TV, on Netflix, right? And so he says, you know, well, what about getting up after five hours of sleep? I never get enough sleep. I stay up late at night because I'm night guy. <laughs> night guy wants to stay up late. What about getting up after five hours of sleep? Oh, that's morning guy's problem. <laughs> That's not my problem. I'm night guy. Right. And, you know, it's such a funny thing because it's like that real separation. He says it, there's he, he comes up with this solution. He says the only thing that morning guy can do is to oversleep often enough so that day guy loses his job and that night guy has no money to go out anymore, which is like kind of this perfect way to put. Yeah. You know, so it was articulated in a joke that we really yeah. think of the future and the present as two separate entities. And, exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. And, and this idea of different versions of ourselves. In your book, you narrate about Pedro, El Matador. Can you tell us about him and why you decided to include him in your book? Yeah, so I... I had come across I my like guilty pleasure that I listened to this. I listen to this one true crime podcast every week. One of the episodes had spotlighted this guy called Pedro Filo. He was considered Brazil's maybe worst serial killer ever, which is like a crazy thing. But the interesting thing about this guy is that he went to he, you know, he was caught when he was younger. He went to prison. He killed people while he was in prison. And at some point, he had this moment where he decided to stop. And he said, if I if I can get out of solitary confinement, I'll never kill anybody. I'll never harm anybody again. And like, strangely, he ends up getting let out of prison after 35 years because of like a loophole in the law. Like they couldn't keep yeah. him in longer. <laughs> and which is crazy, right? Because you think about, you know. All the things that he did. Yeah. Yeah. No. What was interesting and the reason that I thought of him was because his life does not look like a life where there's just like sort of one version of him. He had this earlier version where he was this hardened criminal killing dozens of people, admittedly, all, all of whom were like bad guys. Like he, he was the inspiration for the TV show Dexter. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's about a serial killer who only kills other criminals. Um, Robin Hood of killers. The Robin, say that again? the Robin Hood of killers. The Robin Hood of killers. There you go. I love that. <laughs> but then later in life, he's this like works in a bottle plant factory. He exercises every day. He runs like a YouTube channel for at-risk youth. He's like, looks like a completely different person. And I was really fascinated by the idea that there could be almost separate selves over time. I managed to have a, a Skype interview with him. Yeah, you were so brave. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and ask him, right? I mean, it was very funny, but ask him about this and was nice enough to talk to me. 
to give me some of his time and talk to me via Skype. And, you know, one of the things I asked him was like, do you think of yourself? How do you think of yourself over time? And he said, you know, I, I think of myself as a, I was, I'm disgusted by the person I once was. That's not even, I don't even recognize that person. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's an extreme example, of course. Right. But it's, it's representative of the idea that there can be separate selves. And I was almost wanted to talk to him as a, an analogy of the idea that we could be separate over time and that he's, per, you know, I can't say if he's truly different or not, mm-hmm. you know? And in fact, as a sad footnote, like he was killed about three months ago. Um, and I, he, you know- He was killed. Yeah, but you know, I don't know by whom, but the way in which it was done suggests it was somebody who had a grudge against him. And so it's interesting because I think on some levels he actually did change over time, but then it raises this question of whether or not the people from his past saw it as so. Yes. And I'm not, I'm not so sure that they, that they did, you know? Yeah. Um, and of course there's always revenge. Yeah. But it's interesting because, you know, revenge suggests that I assume somebody is the same over time, right? Like you have to pay yeah. for your past. Yeah. So yeah. they didn't I mean, buy it. They didn't buy that. <laughs> yeah. This could get, well, this is a deep, I mean, this could go, we yeah. could go into a deep direction here, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the different selves, um, you also had that discussion about it's like having different office mates. Would you like to tell us about that? I mean, the way the way that I the way that I think about selves over time, it's sort of like I mean, we have a you know many of us work with coworkers. We have an office place. There are people we know who they exist. You know, we don't we don't we know they're there. We know they work with us, but we don't really know them. And then there are people who are, you know, very close to us. Yeah. We're you know they're our best friends. They're good friends of ours. I like to think about the self as a collection of selves, sort of like an office workplace where there's many people doing many jobs, but spread out over time within oneself. And what's interesting about this is that just as I can be more or less connected to my coworkers, Mm -hmm. I can be more or less connected to my future self. Um, And what I think is really fascinating about this is it suggests that, you know, with more of a sense of connection, a strong sense of connection, I'll be likely to do things for that future self's benefit, do things now that will benefit them later. Yeah. So so what you're saying is that um, it could be a good way to, let's say, let's just focus on the money part, on the retirement part, to really get to know more that future self so that we get closer to it, so that we will have... Um, you know, we can really do something great for that person. We can sacrifice for the benefit of that person. Yeah. And I mean, I think we'll talk about it, but, you know, sometimes sacrifice is a hard word because it doesn't sound fun, you know, and it's like, I don't want to do, I mean, that really doesn't sound like something I want to do. Right. But well, I will talk about that. I'm sure. But, um, but that's generally, that's generally speaking the right idea, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and you also spoke about time travel, uh, I was wondering, did you watch Back to the Future back in the day? <laughs> ages ago, ages ago. What was that? Yes, ago. <laughs> oh my okay. gosh! Actually, probably more than more than that. Yeah. Yes. 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 So why did you why did you decide to use this format of a time travel? Well, so much of what we're doing when we think about our future selves is traveling through time, albeit in our minds, not yeah. in a yeah. DeLorean, right? And 
I think it's a really useful way to think about the ways that we think about ourselves, both in the future and in the past. And it also can highlight, you know, some of the mistakes that we make. But I, I mean, I think in terms of an analogies, that's just what helps me think through things. And mental time travel is what it's called, is a good way to consider or a good way to, you know, a good, good way to understand the yeah. mistakes that we sometimes make, as well as the things that we can do to, to do better. Yes. So yeah, while we already have that cognitive power to be able to time travel, we might as well use it. So now tell us right. about right. your findings and how we could be your experiments. How could we put ourselves in a closer relationship with this future self so that we can do better for it, for him, for her? Yeah, so in the book, um, I go through a number of different strategies. I'll I'll spot I'll spotlight a couple if that if that sure. that works. Um, the you know the the marketing professor in me you know wants to say well you know you'll have to buy the book to find out more. But um, <laughs> so one bucket of strategies is to try to make the future self closer, to yeah. try to draw that future self in so that we feel a greater sense of connection to them in the same way that we feel a greater sense of connection with other people the the coworker we were talking about the one who we really like and we would yes. we would sacrifice for them right so um i've explored a variety of methods you know one <clears throat> one is to make that future self more vivid more emotional and one way to do that is through what's known as age progression technology to literally show people what they look like in the future. Um, now, we've been exploring this over the years and and have found that people who are exposed to these images are a little bit more likely to want to save and actually save uh, for the future in the financial space. Other folks have looked at this in the health space. Um, a new paper came out looking at a visualization exercise for women in rural Kenya, finding um, that this sort of exercise helps them um, not only save money, but also take preventative health measures and chlorinate their water so that their kids don't get um, uh, stomach issues. Um, I know this is something, of course, Rose, that you've, you've uh, explored as well. The gist there is that it's not about the aged image per se, but rather we're trying to figure out how to make the future self more emotional more vivid more concrete more like somebody i can think about and and plan for and and you know to bring back sacrifice for right so i talk about a number of strategies in that bucket bringing that future self closer and then and then i have a couple of other sort of you know categories of strategies if you if i if if that would be good to talk about it as well yeah sure go ahead so you know the 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 other the other one other strategy is to essentially start where we came left off with this idea that, you know, of sacrifice and start by recognizing that like any of these trade-off decisions between now and later, you know, spending versus saving, eating healthy versus not, exercising or not, the, the, the person who always sacrifices is me right now. Yeah. Like right. I'm always, I'm always the one who's sacrificing future Future me is always the one who benefits, which is kind of not great. It's like a bad relationship where like, I'm the one, you know, it's like, like a I'm one way. <laughs> one exactly. Way. It's like a one way relationship. Exactly. So, you know, we've been trying to figure out how can we make sacrifices, quote unquote, sacrifices feel easier to undertake. So I'm more likely to, to do them. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, my own research, one of my favorite examples of this, we worked with a fintech company and we asked people if they wanted to sign up for a savings account, an automatic savings account. And some people were asked if they wanted to save 150 bucks a month. And some were asked if they wanted to save something that was psychologically easier, an easier sacrifice, five bucks a day. Now, they're the same, of course, right? But the five bucks a day, it feels easier. That's called temporal reframing. And I, I talk about in the book other ways to figure out how to make these present day sacrifices feel a little bit easier so that I'm more likely to do the thing. And the third bucket is all about what we call, some people call commitment devices or yes. pre-commitment strategies. And the gist there is what can we do to put some guardrails on our behavior? Now, other researchers, and I know other folks who you've had on your show have have talked about this. I like to look at this through the lens of current and future selves because it's current me who makes this decision. And then these future iterations of me who get, who will essentially have to answer to this decision that I made. And so when it comes to these commitment devices, there's a tension between picking a punishment, if you will, mm -hmm. that is strong enough to make sure I don't do a certain behavior, yeah. but not so strong that I don't adopt that strategy. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay, yes. so commitment devices. Can you also talk to us about the dear future me and and its iteration, which is like you're already in the future and you're writing to your present self. Tell us about that. Yeah, so there's a great website called Dear Future Me. Um, and you know the the beauty of this site is that I can write myself a letter, uh, an email, and I can say when do I want that to be emailed to me. Yes. And write that letter and it'll get sent back to me. Now, what's cool about this is that I am now creating a conversation over time with myself because yes. not only am I writing to my future self, but eventually I'm going to, I'm going to turn into my future self and get a letter back <clears throat> from my past self who not to be too crazy about it, but who was my present self, right? I mean, this is yeah. you know, <laughs> what's, what I like about this is that there's a, First off, it forces you to kind of think a little bit about the future, but the act of getting that letter back, I mean, that may be really powerful because it could conjure up memories and feelings and emotions. Um, now, this is an open research topic. There's some research that shows that people really enjoy getting time capsules from the past. And part of the reason is because they remind us of our ordinary moments, not the extraordinary ones, but the ordinary ones, which are yes. kind of the fabric of our lives. Yeah. Um, and things that we may forget already. And things that we might forget. No, I mean, what we don't know, I don't know what are the actual impacts of writing these letters and then receiving them back in terms of our behavior and our value adjustments and whatnot. That's an open research question. And it's, it's something I would love to investigate, uh, but it's not known at the at right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's a great website and it's it's great for for sort of fostering these sorts of connections over time. You, you know what I really also like is the slider that uses your face. The more the more you save, the sadder the present self is, but the happier the future self is. So so it's really like uh you have to decide how to do that balance, right? Yeah, yeah. Because there are also hazards of doing things, um, you know, it's overdoing, favoring the, the future self. You you might end up like a Scrooge. Uh, tell us about the fire 
financial independence retire early some of the yeah. the experiences that were not as uh, favorable right you know it's interesting because our conversation has all been about you know making the future brighter etc and you can overdo it i focus on myopia which is tunnel vision for the present so we're ignoring the future but there is this version there's this psychological error called hyperopia where we're so focused on the future that we miss the present and the irony there is that i may end up making things worse for my future self if i have only lived for the future because now i haven't created these memories i haven't spent my money i haven't had the experiences and so on and so on now fire the fire movement financial independence retire early the basic idea there is getting people to well essentially that you know be free from like the constraints of traditional work and retire early. But the, the catch is that it requires an almost, um, you know, I don't know, monk-like existence where you have to sort of cut back on everything. And so, you know, if you were to cut your expenses down by to 5% of what they are now and live on that, you know, could you live the rest of your life on the savings that you have? I don't know, maybe, but what sort of life is that? Like, you know, you know it's really interesting because there are elements of this, movement that I think are really quite smart. I think the idea of thinking carefully yeah. about our expenditures and like considering them and weighing them is is a great idea. And I, I know there are people who are happy with this. And I think there are people who um, really have benefited from the program. And then there's other people who've been vocal online who say, you know, I was financially independent, but we couldn't go to weddings because there's too much money and like we could no longer eat out. And, mm. you know, you start thinking about what are the little things that we do with our money that make us happier? Yeah. You know, and so I think, I mean, there's a balance there. There's, there's somewhere in between. Um, and this yeah. is not to say that that fire movement is wrong or anything. I don't want to come out <laughs> saying that. But, but oh yeah, of course. It, it does Just suggest pick what works for you. Exactly. What does work for you and what's, what is the thing, what drives us? What, what's something that, you know, that we value in terms of the way that we spend our money and spend our time and our right. other resources as well. Yes. So so I'd like to um, paraphrase or maybe, I don't know if this is a, a direct quote from you. You said something like, don't forget to celebrate the present. If we only live for tomorrow, we may arrive at a future that's devoid of memories and experiences that make life worth living. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. That's it. Yeah. This, this has been such a great um, conversation with you, Hal. I'm taking away time <laughs> from your kids. So that, that's why I'm very grateful. My takeaway from your book is this. Living our life uh, is a delicate balance between giving in to our present self, who is well represented when it comes to decision making, and our future self, who is not represented. We need to be more in touch with that future self in order to make better long-term decisions. We owe it not just for ourselves, but also to humankind because, you know, the things that we're doing now are affecting the environment and all that stuff for the generations of, after us also. And we can use our middle self <laughs> to help us make better overall decisions. And this is in the form of what we discussed earlier, commitment devices. So, sir, did I get the book correctly? You got it right. That's fantastic. Thank <laughs> you for that. Thanks for the summary. And thanks for this great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah. So any parting words from you, Hal? And if you could leave some practical tips on how we can behave, given all the studies that you've made on the future self. 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think um, if if I can if I can sort of give parting words, one of them is to say, you know, consider that there's a relationship here between who we are now and who will be in the future, just in the same way that there's a relationship between who we are now and the people that we love in our lives that who, who are currently occupying it. Um, and if I can be practical about it, or or maybe just more direct about it. Don't forget that we change over time and don't forget that our future self isn't one stable entity, but they can also change. And if we think too much about one stable concrete self and fail to recognize the fluidity and the changes, that may also be treating our future self unfairly. And so we should make sure to recognize change uh, over time uh, as well. So, so what's your favorite uh, tip when it comes to saving for our retirement? Mm, okay. My favorite tip for saving for retirement is if you can make it automatic so that you don't have to think about it, make it automatic. And if you're having a hard time getting there, that's when it may make sense to have that conversation with your future self. Have that conversation, write a letter to your future self, write a letter back from your future self, really think about how they will respond to your behaviors today. Hopefully that provides a little motivation to then set up the actual administrative tasks to set up an automatic savings account, set it and then forget it, but make sure you keep increasing it as you get raises and as <laughs> over time, otherwise it's not going to be enough. Thank you. Thank you. So everybody get hold of the book your future self. And once you apply the tips, your future self will be very happy and thankful to you and to how. Thank you. Thank you very much. I will definitely get in touch with you again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you. My pleasure. This is great. Great conversation. Thank you, Rose. Yeah. Thank you very much.